My friends, welcome to our Renner TV family meeting. We're going to have a lot of fun today and we have a lot to share with you. But I want to tell you that everything in our store is 30% off. That's a big deal. We don't do that very often, but we did it for today because it's so special. But Dad, tell us about your wonderful Christmas book. I would love to tell you about it, but first of all, I want to say it's good that the four of us are together, but this is not all the Renners. There's one more. We miss Philip, but he's doing his ministry in the United States. But we are coming to you from Moscow. That's the four of us. But I have a brand new book, Joel. You're right. And it's called Christmas, the rest of the story. And in my segment of this meeting, I'm going to be teaching today about Christmas and sharing just a little bit from this book. And guys, I am so excited about this book. First of all, I'm excited because of what I wrote. I mean, it is so enlightening to see the details that people don't know. And this book is fully illustrated. It's just amazing. When you see this book, you're going to say, wow. I mean, it is going to exceed your expectations. Every single page is full color. So we really want you to have it. And that's what I'm going to be teaching on today. But Denise, tell us about prayer. Oh, if you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. Just write us, just call us. We're there for you. And I just want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us. Paul, tell us something about worship. Since we're coming to you from the sanctuary of the Moscow Good News Church, the Moscow Praise and Worship Team will be leading us in worship today. And of course, they'll be doing it in English. This is kind of new for them. We don't sing in English every Sunday, so sing and worship with us today. Nations grow. 
Christmas is a wonderful time to come together and worship, and at Christmas, we usually share gifts with each other. When we're sharing our gifts and when we come to worship, we're doing it in the tradition of the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, talks about how the wise men came and worshiped Jesus. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. We do the same today, and we do it because we love Jesus. And also when we give, we're imitating God. And as Christians, we're called to imitate God. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave so that we could be saved. We give as, as part of our worship 
because we love him. It's part of who we are now. He is a giver and we are givers. It's just part of who we are. It's part of what we do and we receive when we give. We believe in the law of sowing and reaping. We're so grateful to each of you for giving to our ministry. When you give, you actually help us serve other people. You become part of what we're doing here. You become partners with Renner Ministries. Thank you so much for what you do. When you give, you add fuel to the tank so that we can go further, so that we can do more. If you'd like to give today, please call us. We're waiting for your call. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Or of course, if you're not already, on renner.org. You can visit us at renner.org and there are many ways there that you can give to help us do more for Jesus and then we'll be doing it together. Father God, I thank you for each and every person who has become a partner with this ministry. Thank you, Lord, for their heart, their desire, their part in what we're doing here. And Lord, I ask you to bless them and I thank you, Lord, that in this wonderful season, we can remember everything that you have done for each of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is Rick Renner, and I want to say welcome to the Renner Family Meeting. Our family just loves it when we get to do these meetings with you. And today my role is to talk to you about the Christmas story, and I'm so excited to share with you. But I want to tell you first that I just taught a brand new series that I really want you to have. And I really mean that. I believe you need this series. It's called Christmas, The Rest of the Story. It's 15 parts, and it comes in all kinds of formats on our website. But the subtitle says, Amazing Insights About Christmas You've Never Heard Before. I guarantee you that is the truth. You will see and hear things you have never heard before about the Christmas story that will simply amaze you. And this series comes with a wonderful study guide and I've got to tell you, I really like my study guides. I put a lot of work into these study guides. Every one of them is nearly like a book. And we do it for every new series that we teach. But when you order this series, be sure to get the study guide because you can read all the points and the principles, all the history. Everything you're going to hear is also in the study guide. But we're also offering you right now. Are you ready? I'm pretty excited to tell you the book, Christmas, the rest of the story. Denise and I have talked about me writing this book for years and years and years, and here it is. Finally, it's done. I spent two years compiling all the information that I have put into this book, and because I wanted you to really see what I'm talking about, we hired a graphic illustrator, and he has marvelously illustrated the entire book. Can you imagine every single page has a different illustration and it is full color. And this book is not just good for Christmas. It's a coffee table book. You can put it on your coffee table and when your friends come over or when your kids come or your grandkids, they will open it. I know they will because the illustrations are just amazing. They won't want to stop flipping the pages. And as they flip the pages and look at the amazing illustrations, they're also going to learn a lot about Christmas, the rest of the story. But I want to tell you why I've named this Christmas the rest of the story. When I was a little boy, Ricky Renner would come into the living room around the time of Christmas with my sisters, Rhonda and Lori, and my daddy would read certain parts of the Christmas story to us. 
And I just loved that. Oh, how I loved to hear the Christmas story. And of course, we also had a wonderful tree that we decorated with bulbs and lights and tinsel. And I just loved to lay on the floor and look at that tree. And then one year, my mother had an idea. Rather than Rick just lay on the floor and look at the tree, let's give him something else to think about. So my mother gave me construction paper. She knew that I was very creative and I love to do artistic things. Then she gave me my little bitty scissors from the elementary school and Elmer's glue. Do you remember Elmer's glue? Did you ever eat it? I used to eat a little bit of the Elmer's glue. And then she gave me a bottle of glitter and she said, Ricky, I want you to create a nativity. Ah, oh, what a challenge. So I got out my colors and I began coloring the nativity and I took my little scissors and began to cut out the barn and cut out all the figures and all my glitter. And I began to assemble a very flimsy, flimsy nativity set. I can remember it just leaning over <laughs> and I would put boxes around it to try to hold it up. But instead of me looking at the bulbs and the lights and the tinsel, I would lay on the floor and I would look at that nativity and think about the miracle that occurred on the birth, during the birth of Jesus on Christmas. That was really smart of my mother. But every year, my daddy read the same story. And I remember thinking, there's got to be more to this story than what we hear every single year. So when I got older and I had the ability to study deeply and to read the Greek language, I dove deep into the New Testament and to early writings of first century, second century, and third century believers who wrote a lot of history, and I unearthed a treasure trove of information about the birth of Jesus I had never heard. And my friends, if you take all those elements and put it all together, the truth is only God could create such a story. And that's why I call the book Christmas the rest of the story. And today I wanna to share a few elements of this story with you. So if you have your Bible, Open your Bible to Luke chapter two, and we're going to begin in verse one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Notice it says there went out a decree. That word decree really describes an official decree which was issued by the Roman Senate, and it was to the whole world. The whole world does not mean America, it doesn't mean Africa. The word whole world describes the sophisticated world, the civilized world, or particularly all the lands of the Roman Empire. And because this was a decree which was given by the Roman Senate, everyone had to obey it. And notice it says that all the world should be taxed. Well, the word taxed is not a very good translation. It really was a worldwide census. They wanted to know how many people really lived in the Roman Empire. And during the time of Caesar Augustus, the territory of the Roman Empire doubled. Well, by taking a census, they would know how many people there were and thereby determine the tax basis for the entire Roman Empire. And the Bible says in verse two, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Now, I want you to imagine the grumbling that must have happened all over the Roman Empire at that time. People who probably said, why can't I just stay where I am to participate in the census. Why do I have to go back to my original hometown? But God needed to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, and they had no natural reason to go there. Who would want to go to Bethlehem? Do you know how big Bethlehem was? 
at a max about 480 people. Most scholars believe probably 150 people. It was just a little speck on the map near to Jerusalem, but no one had a natural reason to go to Bethlehem. And not only that, Mary was nine months pregnant. Imagine the trip for her to go from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. For a person who is robust and in good shape and not pregnant, you can make the trip in about three to four days. But for a pregnant woman who has to take a lot of stops along the way to go to the bathroom, and because they couldn't make the whole journey in one day, they had to set up tent, break down tent, get back on that donkey, keep traveling. It could take up to 10 to 12 days for a woman very, very pregnant. Why would they want to leave Nazareth in that condition to go to Bethlehem? But God needed them to be there to fulfill prophecy. So God gave an order for the whole world to begin moving. No choice. And you know what it tells me? God will move the whole earth to get you where you need to be. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That is so comforting. God is so committed to your future. He'll do anything he has to do to get you where you need to be in the right moment. And that's what he did for Mary and Joseph. But think also, if Mary traveled all those days pregnant, it was a very big inconvenience for her as well. And sometimes God might inconvenience you to get you where you need to be. But if you're willing to say yes, and follow, you'll end up right smack where you need to be in the right time. But let's see what else the Bible says. It says, so all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Why does it say that? Because Bethlehem and Jerusalem were higher than Galilee. They literally went up. They went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, which is the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and of the lineage of David. The word Bethlehem means the house of bread. It's very interesting that in John chapter 6, Jesus said he was the living bread that came down from heaven. God is so precise in everything he does. The living bread came and the living bread was born in the city of bread, the city of Bethlehem, the city of David. And my friends, it means when Jesus came into the world, he came to be divine bread for healing, divine bread for prosperity, divine bread for everything you need in your life. He is God's provision for you. He is the living bread that was born in the house of bread, which is the little city of Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us, In verse 5, to be taxed or to be enrolled in this census with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. What does it mean to be espoused? Well, among the Jews, marriage was very, very serious, and they did not enter into marriage quickly because they understood this was the most serious relationship in a person's life. So when they became engaged, it was legal. In fact, it was so legal that if you wanted to get out of that engagement, you had to file a divorce. But during the engagement period, which was one year, they had no sexual relationship. They didn't even live together. But that was a year of purity and a year of training. They were to be sexually pure during that year and take one full year to prepare for marriage. And then at the end of that year, then they would consummate their marriage with a sexual relationship. 
That shows how serious they were about marriage. Unlike today, when people just rush into marriage because they feel like it, and it doesn't last very long. If we would take the approach of the Jews and train for marriage and prepare for marriage and do our best to make sure our marriage is a success, probably there would be fewer failures of marriage. And it was during this espousal period that Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost, but it was not Joseph's child. She was impregnated by God himself. But Joseph could have had her stoned, and he did not. We're told in the Gospel of Matthew that he was a just man and did not want Mary to suffer humiliation, so he was going to put her away privately, which tells us he was really a good man. He was a kind man. There's reasons why God chose Joseph to be the foster father of Jesus. And one reason was Joseph was not religiously mean. If he had been religiously mean, he could have said, huh, I'm going to have her stoned. But he was a kind man. He was a merciful man. And that's one reason why God chose Joseph to be the foster father of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to have a very kind, merciful father. But what does the Bible say? It says to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. The Greek says on the very verge of giving birth. And the Bible tells us in verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Notice Jesus is called the firstborn son. There are some denominations which teach this is the only child that Mary ever gave birth to. But he's called firstborn for a reason, because after him there were others. And we even know the names of the other children because they're identified in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and verse 56. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, we find the next one to be born after Jesus was named James. Then the next one was Joseph. The next was Simeon. The next was Jude. And it's remarkable that the James is the same James who became the leader of the Jerusalem church and wrote the book of Jude. The youngest brother was Jude and Jude wrote the book of Jude. And verse 56 says there were sisters, which is plural, which means there were at least two. So after Jesus, at least six more kids were born. But Jesus was the firstborn and was the only one born without human involvement. He was the son of God. But the Bible says, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Now notice this, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, because of the artists of the Middle Ages, especially the Italian artists, we're all confused about what happened here. Let me explain. During the Middle Ages, they didn't have movies. They weren't able to show events in sequence. So Italian painters of the Middle Ages decided they would take all the elements of the Christmas story and put it on one canvas so you could see everything all at once. And so if you look at those canvases, there you see the Holy Family. You see Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger which was wooden in a wooden barn. That's not right either. And then you see the angels are there and the shepherds are there and the magi are there. In fact, the place is just full. But my friends, all of these things did not happen at one time. For example, the magi didn't show up for two years. They came two years later, not looking for a baby, but looking for a toddler king. 
Hmm, did you know that? That's part of Christmas, the rest of the story. And the Italian painters also painted the Holy Family and Mary giving birth in a wooden barn and the baby laying in a wooden manger. But that's not right either, because in the year 150, Justin Martyr, a very famous Christian who grew up 30 miles from Bethlehem, recorded that Jesus was born in a cave that was used by shepherds as a barn. We're told the same thing by Origen the theologian in the year 248 AD. And do you know that from the various early ages of the church, people have been going to Bethlehem to that cave. And today you can still go there. It's called the grotto. It is underneath the church of the nativity. The first church of the nativity was constructed in uh, 226, dedicated in 239. Then Justinian built another one in the year 520. And guess what? The one people see today, it's been standing there since the year 520. And under it really is the grotto or the cave where this event took place. That's a big shock to some people to find out Jesus was born in a cave. But I've been all around Bethlehem. I have filmed in many caves around Bethlehem. And the shepherds didn't need to build a wooden barn because these little caves were ideal to be used as barns. And that is where Jesus was born. Now, somebody may ask, why was there no room for them in the end? Was Joseph poor? Here's another shocking statement. He was not poor. In fact, he was very well compensated for his work outside of Nazareth. Nazareth was a sleeping community. There was no work in the city of Nazareth, but nearby Nazareth was a city which was called Sephoris. And Herod Antipas had declared that it would be the capital of his northern kingdom. And he began to decorate it and embellish it and turn it into the banking center of the Middle East. And he needed a lot of artisans who knew how to do frescoes and mosaics and create marvelous furniture and build beautiful walls and palaces. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was a carpenter. And guess what? Here's another shock. It's not the word carpenter. It's the Greek word tekton. It's where we get the word technology, which means he was a highly advanced technological worker. And a tekton, guess what? Primarily did not work with wood. What did a tekton do? A tekton created beautiful jewelry, marvelous furniture that was inlaid with ivory and precious stones. A tecton could make mosaics. A tecton had the ability to be a building supervisor. And tectons were very well compensated. Which means when God chose Joseph, he chose somebody who had already been faithful at what he was doing. Why would God give the greatest assignment in history to somebody who had not proven himself? Of course, God always watches us. We're always in a period of qualification for something greater. And when God had his eyes on Joseph and saw how well he had managed himself and his responsibilities, God knew, wow, this is a man that I can trust with a bigger assignment. And the reason I'm telling you all of this is because when they came to Bethlehem, they didn't get a room because they were poor. They got a, couldn't get a room because they were late. They came very late. And as I've told you, Bethlehem was very small at a max, 480 people, and there really were no hotels. Then what does the Bible mean when it says inn? The inns back in those days were the second floors of larger homes. And because everybody had gone back home for the census, by the time they got there, 
all the spaces on the second floor of homes were gone. There was no space for anybody else. So what did they do? Well, Joseph, as a loving husband, he has a wife that's about to give birth. He begins to look for a place where his wife can give birth to this baby. So he finds this cave, which is used as a barn. And I know that we love to sing silent night, holy night, and away in the manger. And we kind of have in our minds that this was a silent, holy, quiet night. But my friends, that is far from the truth. In that cave, there were animals making all kinds of noises, mulling around. And it is likely they were not the only travelers in the cave that night because there just was not a lot of room in Bethlehem where people could find room in the end. So the cave was probably filled with animals and travelers playing games, talking out loud, and the Holy Family went to the very, very back of that cave, and that is where Mary pushed. And when she pushed, the creator of the universe was born in that cave. And as those animals were mulling about and people were talking to each other, so much noise and commotion, they were unaware that the greatest miracle that had ever occurred had just taken place among them. Is that just amazing? And notice what else? She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. What are swaddling clothes? Swaddling clothes with the little bandages that shepherds used to wrap the limbs of newborn lambs. Well, all around Bethlehem, there was a particular group of shepherds who were under special rabbinical care, and their job was to raise lambs that eventually would be used for sacrifice at the temple in nearby Jerusalem. And we're told by Josephus that at the time of the Passover, over 260,000 lambs were sacrificed. Is that amazing? It means the Temple Mount was like a slaughterhouse, 260,000 lambs. And these particular shepherds in that region were raising the little lambs to be used for temple sacrifice. And because they had to be without blemish, when they were born, they took these little strips and wrapped their legs to protect their legs so nothing would be broken and nothing would be defective. Well, now Mary has given birth. She needs something to wrap her little baby with. So she looks around and they're in the cave where all these little lambs are. And here are strips of clothing. She takes them and begins to wrap her little baby and then lays him in a manger. Well, I know that most of us think a manger was something constructed of wood, but in Bethlehem, they did not have wooden mangers. The mangers were carved from the stone structure of the cave itself. And that is why it's amazing that both Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr writing the year 150 and Origen in the year 258 AD, both of them wrote that people were still going to Bethlehem to the cave where they could still see the manger. Well, if the manger had been made of wood, it would have been rotten or it would have been carried off. But the manger was made of stone. So 250 years later, Origen said people were still going to the cave to see the very spot where the baby was laid. But there's something else very important. When a little lamb was born to be eventually used as a sacrifice on the Temple Mount, the shepherds would lay it in a manger. Then they would call the priest. And the priest would come and he would check the child to make sure it was without defect and was without blemish. And the reason it's so important for you to understand this is because Jesus' very first appearance was as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Why didn't anybody ever tell me that when I was growing up? That's why I call this Christmas the rest of the story. 
Jesus was wrapped in the bandages for a little sacrificial lamb. He was even placed in a manger where normally the priest would come to inspect to declare this was a lamb without blemish, without defect. Jesus in his very first appearance appeared as the Lamb of God who was born to take away my sin and your sin. Now, I just think that is amazing. But wait, let's continue. It goes on and it says in verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And guess what shepherds these were? These were the shepherds under rabbinical care. They had their eyes fixed on those sheep because they knew the sheep they were raising were to be used as sacrifice at the time of Passover for the forgiveness of sin. These were no mere sheep. These were holy sheep. And suddenly these shepherds, no mere shepherds, these were very serious shepherds who had been entrusted with a very holy charge. Suddenly something happened. The Bible tells us in verse 9, And lo, by the way, the word lo means, wow, is this amazing. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The word glory is the Greek word doxos. It describes the splendorous presence of God, but also the weighty, weighty, weighty presence of God, which means when the angel came upon them, they probably collapsed under the weight of God's presence. And the Bible says, a light shone round about them. And the Greek is very specific. It was like a beam of concentrated light that encased just them. It was not the entire countryside being lightened up, but they were in a beam of concentrated light and suddenly... The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ, the word Christos, the word for the Messiah, the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. And the Greek literally means this is going to be a special sign, especially for you guys, for you guys. You shall find the babe. The word find is even important. Because the word find is the Greek word which describes an investigation. There were a lot of caves in the area to find this babe. They were going to have to go through all the caves. But the word find is also the Greek word from which we get the word eureka. When they finally find the child, it's going to be a real eureka moment. You shall find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Wow. It was the equivalent of the angels saying, guys, you're doing a good job watching over these sacrificial lambs, but you're looking at the wrong lamb because the real lamb of God has just been born nearby. And if you'll go look for him, you'll find him and you'll know you have found the real lamb of God because he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What would be the chances for a baby to be wrapped like a little lamb and to be placed in a manger waiting for the priest to come and bless it and say it's without defect and without blemish. And they said, hey guys, when you see this little baby, when you find him, it's going to be a eureka moment. And finally, you're going to see the real lamb of God that was born to take away the sins of the world. Isn't that amazing? And the Bible tells us in verse 15, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste 
and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in the manger. Now listen to verse 17 and 18. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at the things which were spoken to them by the shepherds. So we find the very first evangelists are the shepherds. And why did people in the region wonder about this when they heard what the shepherds said? Because everyone knew these were no mere shepherds. These were shepherds under rabbinical care. And if these shepherds with one voice were all telling the same story that the real Lamb of God had been born and the real Lamb of God to take away sins was not those physical animals out in the field, but the little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, they must know what they're talking about. And everyone who heard it were simply stunned because these were shepherds under rabbinical care declaring the real Lamb of God had been born. And my friends, when Jesus was born, He was born for me. He was born for you as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And in this little segment, I've just shared a little tiny bit of everything in my new book, which is called Christmas, The Rest of the Story. There's so much you've never heard before. But isn't it amazing how God took all these elements and orchestrated and put it all together? Only God could orchestrate such a story, and no fiction writer would ever be smart enough to dream it all up. Only God could do this, my friends. But what I want you to understand, Jesus, even in his infancy, first appeared as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And I want to tell you one more thing before I'm finished. When our sons were young, Denise and I would gather them around us at the time of Christmas, and we would tell them the Christmas story. And what I've shared with you today is really birthed out of what I used to share with our kids when they were very little. And every year we would say to our sons, guys, we know this is a time of the year when people look at trees and people think about gifts, but we want you to understand it's not about gifts. This is a season when we celebrate the fact that Jesus was born as the Lamb of God. His real purpose was not just to be a little baby in a manger. That little baby in the manger was looking to the future when he would hang on the cross as the precious Lamb of God who shed his blood for us to destroy Satan's work in all of our lives and to set us free and guarantee us a place in heaven. Boys, that's what Christmas is really about. And this year, I want to encourage you, rather than just focus on the gifts and the tinsel and the lights and the tree and all the festivities, make sure you consecrate a few moments to tell your children and to tell your grandchildren. It's really not about all of that. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus when he appeared as a little lamb to take away our sins and the sins of the world. Friend, wasn't that amazing? I just love Rick giving the Christmas story or the rest of the Christmas story. And I, the whole time that he was talking, I was hearing two words. He came. God came for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to read you this amazing verse from Hebrews chapter 2 and it's verse 17. 
And it says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. When Jesus came, he was made just like us. And he came that way so that he could be tempted just like you and I, and so that he could help us and aid us when we are tempted. He never sinned, but his help is there now through the person of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. I don't know what you're facing right now. If it's sickness trying to come over your body or it's relational problems or it's financial questions you don't know the answers to. But friend, Jesus is there in the person of the Holy Spirit right inside of you. And he is there to aid you and to help you and to bring you through this temptation. And Father, I just thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside each one of us, that he is there to help us, to aid us, to bring us through, to give us the wisdom, to give us the courage and the power by his presence in our life. And Lord, we thank you that at this Christmas time, it wasn't just a little baby laying there. It was God coming to us to help us, to aid us, and to bring us into the victory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friend, through this time, don't just go through the busyness of this time, but think about the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, that Jesus came he brought his spirit inside of you to help you and aid you through every temptation. My friends, haven't we had a wonderful time together? And wasn't Mama's prayer just marvelous? If you need prayer, please reach out to us. We would be happy to pray with you. But Paul, haven't we had fun together? Yes, it's wonderful that we get to fellowship together. It's wonderful that we get to worship together and grow in the Word together. And everything in our store, we want to remind you, is 30% off. That's pretty special. We did it for this event. And Paul, tell us our friends about the Christmas book. This Christmas book is very special. Dad's been working on it for a long time, ever since I can remember. We, before we open our Christmas presents, sit down near the Christmas tree to read the Christmas story. And as we read the Christmas story, Dad stops and says, wait, 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 wait. What does this mean? Or what does that mean? And was Jesus actually born in a barn? Or was he born in a cave? And we go over all these questions. Now, of course, we do it with our children. So it's now three generations together going over the Christmas story, asking each other questions, which we all, all know the answers to by now. But we still do it every year, and it's a lot of fun. And all of that is now in this book. It's the truth. We really do Christmas trivia every year. <laughs> and we read the Christmas story before we open any gifts. We think it's important that we understand the Christmas story. It's really about, all about Jesus. He's our Savior, and we need to understand that. He didn't just come to be a baby. No, He came to be our Savior, to die on a cross, and to save us from our sins. 
And I think that's so important that everyone understands. So we want to tell you about this wonderful Christmas book. It's really special. And Paul, before we close, I know we have a song in Russian. Tell us about it. Yes, the uh, worship team from the Moscow Good News Church will be leading us in worship. One more song in Russian, but we'd also like to say, have a wonderful Christmas. Enjoy each other this year. And don't forget to read your Bibles. We wish you a Merry Christmas. is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. 
we invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. 